Welcome to the Employment Law and HR Podcast with your host, Allison Colley. Hello and welcome to this episode 100 of the Employment Law and HR Podcast. I'm your host, Alison Colley. I'm an employment solicitor and HR specialist, and I run my own firm, which is Real Employment Law Advice. We provide advice and assistance to employers and employees on all aspects of employment law. Now, this podcast is aimed at employers and HR professionals and those who are interested in being a better manager. And as I said earlier, it is our 100th episode, so a bit of a milestone. It's taken a while to get here. So for those of you who are new listeners or haven't been listening since the beginning, um, I'm not surprised, I have to say, because I started the podcast in August 2014 now about a year almost a year after I started real employment law advice and I haven't always been consistent with the scheduling and getting podcasts out and sometimes it's been overtaken by life and family and that sort of thing so I haven't always done it on a fortnightly basis which is why it's taken me so long (laughs) Um, almost four years to get to 100 episodes. But it's great to be at 100 episodes. And I'm really enthused by the podcast, even more so nowadays, because so many people are listening and getting in touch to say that they are actually enjoying the content. So it makes it much easier to spend the time, take time out of my day to prepare for what I'm going to say and then to record. And as many of you will know who listen, I record the podcast usually on a Sunday evening. Today, it's on a sunny bank holiday Monday afternoon and I try to fit it around the schedule of work that I have with the firm and also my family so it is great to hear from everyone and I feel really enthused by it now and pleased to have reached a hundred episodes. So thank you so much to everybody who has been listening and who's been listening regularly and particularly those people who get in touch and there's a few people who get in touch fairly regularly now to give me some ideas and uh, comments and things about the podcast so thank you so much. I have to say I've now got 117,000 downloads since I started the podcast and it's fantastic so once again thank you to everybody for listening and thank you for helping me to reach 100 episodes. Now, I will be doing normal content this week. I had thought about doing some kind of hoopla, but I thought actually the people who tune in and listen to the podcast are generally, you guys are busy people and you want to know about employment law and HR, not the big hoopla of 100 episodes. So I'm going to stick with the normal content and without further ado, I'm going to get into part four of the mini series on grievances. So this is part four in a mini series on grievances and how to handle grievances. I've done three episodes before and this is just a wrap up of some frequently asked questions about grievances. So in the previous episodes I've covered how to identify a grievance, what the risks are in handling grievances, how to handle the grievance and how to conclude things and deal with appeals. And in this episode it's going to be frequently asked questions. So thank you to everyone who got in touch with some questions. I've used some of the ones that people have sent me and also some questions that I've had from clients in the past. 
So question one. Does the employee who raised the grievance have a right to see the witness statements or witness evidence of those people who are questioned and as part of the grievance investigation? Now, this is something that comes up fairly often and I'm asked by employers and employees. So those people who are raising grievances have asked me, you know, I haven't been given a copy of the witness evidence or the minutes from the witness meetings. Can I have a copy? Well, there isn't any specific legal obligation that requires an employer to disclose those to the employee who's raised the grievance. And it may, of course, be part of the investigation process that when you're having those discussions with the employees who are essentially providing the evidence, that they will only do so if they know it's not being disclosed or you tell them that it's not going to be disclosed and it's confidential. So in those circumstances, you have an obligation to the employees who are giving the evidence. So you don't actually have to provide copies of witness evidence or copies of minutes from meetings with witnesses to the employee who raised the grievance. And of course, if you decide that you're going to provide them, you need to obtain the consent of the employee that you've interviewed before disclosing them. There are, of course, some rights that an employee has in relation to subject access requests and access to their personal data, which they may be entitled to a copy if they make that application. But just in the course of the grievance process, you need to think carefully about whether you can disclose that, whether you have the permission of the person who gave the evidence and whether it's sensible to do so. Question number two is, what do you do in a situation where the grievance is against the owner of the business in a small business situation? So where you only have a couple of employees and the owner is also the manager of those employees. Well, again, this is something that comes up fairly regularly and it can make things fairly messy if if it does arise. In these circumstances, it would be really sensible to get a third party in to deal with the grievance issue and to act in some way as a mediator between the owner of the business and the employee. Much of it will depend on the grievance that's been raised, the content of the grievance as to how easily it's going to be able to be resolved. But depending on the grievance, In any event, I would recommend that you get a third party involved to help. And it will also depend a lot on what the employee wants out of it. Because, of course, if the employee's demands, if you like, out of the grievance or their required outcome is unrealistic in the circumstances, then you're going to have to think of more creative ways to deal with it. And so getting a third party in who's an expert in the area will help you because they will be able to help to reach some form of resolution wherever possible. You certainly shouldn't try to handle it yourself if you're the business owner. It can only become more messy and you may end up with an employment tribunal claim that you're having to defend and defend the decision to deal with it yourself. So I would certainly get some advice as soon as possible and don't despair. It's not going necessarily going to be the end of the relationship between you and there may be a way of resolving things. Question three, if a grievance is upheld in a bullying situation, does the employee who raised the grievance have the right to know the outcome of the disciplinary if you then take disciplinary action against the employee accused? 
What you have to remember in this situation is you have a duty of care to both employees, both the employee who has raised the grievance and the employee who is accused. You also have a duty of confidentiality to the employee who's accused. And therefore, you can tell the employee who raised the grievance that you are undertaking some disciplinary process. So you have decided as a result of the outcome of the grievance to invoke the disciplinary process but you can't tell them what sanctions imposed and you certainly shouldn't do so. I wouldn't advise you to disclose any further information than that no matter how hard the employee pushes because you do have as I say an obligation to the employee who's accused as well. Clearly in many organisations employees and colleagues do talk so it might be that the outcome gets back to the employee anyway but you as the employer shouldn't be the person who is disclosing that to them. Oftentimes employees will just want some reassurance that you've taken things seriously and so you can explain to them that yes you are taking it seriously and you are dealing with it in terms of your disciplinary process but you can explain again that you have a duty to the employee of confidentiality and therefore you can't tell them what the outcome was although you can reassure them that you have dealt with it in the most appropriate way. Question four, does the accused have the right to know about the grievance against them? So this is where an employee raises a a grievance, for example, in relation to, let's say, bullying, and the other party doesn't have any idea that this is happening. So you don't have to tell the employee who's accused at the time of the grievance And if they don't already know about the grievance, then you need to consider carefully how you're communicating that to them and what information you communicate to them. If you can investigate it without having spoken to them, then it may be a good idea to do so. Or if you are required to speak to the accused to obtain information from them as part of the grievance process, then you should be careful about what information you do give them and how you communicate that to them to prevent them from potentially raising a further grievance or becoming unwell or upset by the process. And if the accused doesn't know about the allegation against them and you have no requirement to discuss it with them in the grievance process, you should certainly not tell other people within the organisation that they are accused of something without them knowing. So it is about communication. It will depend on the size of your organisation and the type of allegation that's been raised, but you need to think carefully about how you handle it. And this goes back to the planning stage. When you appoint the investigator at the beginning of the grievance process, you need to consider all of these things very carefully, how you're going to communicate, how you're keeping confidentiality intact and how you're going to ensure that it's dealt with swiftly and fairly for all involved. So you need to consider very carefully what information you give the accused and certainly there's no right to explain to them. Certainly if the matter proceeds to disciplinary then they have the right to know what they're accused of and to have the evidence but not necessarily in the grievance process. Once again you need to keep in mind that you have this duty of trust and confidence to all employees regardless of whether they are the accused or the person who's raised the grievance. And it's just this balancing act that you have to have in mind. I appreciate that it can be difficult to handle. And certainly it's very hard not to hurt somebody's feelings or to make them feel upset or stressed or angry or upset about it all. But you need to 
you know, plan and handle it. And then again, that comes down to who deals with the grievance process as well, because certain people handle things in certain ways. And it may be that if it's a sensitive issue that you might decide to appoint an investigator who has a sensitive nature about them, who is more discreet, for example, and will handle things in a more kindly manner, I suppose. Um, So do think about that when you're deciding who to deal with the grievance as well. Question number five is, in a situation where an employee raises a grievance as part of the disciplinary process, should you deal with the disciplinary or the grievance first? Now, as you would have heard in previous episodes, I explained that you can either pause one of the procedures, the disciplinary procedure, whilst you're dealing with a grievance investigation and then come back to the disciplinary, or you can deal with them at the same time. Now, certainly if you decide that you're going to pause one process whilst you deal with it, my recommendation would be to pause the disciplinary process whilst you're dealing with a grievance, but you don't necessarily have to, and it will depend on the circumstances of both the disciplinary allegation and the grievance that's been raised. And again, you need to consider very carefully both the circumstances and the situation of the grievance. Question six. Can the same person investigate the grievance and decide the outcome of the grievance? In disciplinary processes, it is very clear that in order to maintain fairness and reasonableness of the process, that you should separate the disciplinary investigator and the disciplinary decision maker wherever possible in your organisation. That isn't always possible, but that's the best practice. Now, in a grievance situation, again, it's best practice to try to separate them out so that you have a separate grievance investigator and a separate decision maker. So the investigator gathers all the evidence and then passes it to the decision maker who reviews it and decides on the outcome of the grievance. But that is again in an ideal world, it might not be possible and you might decide that because of the nature of the grievance that it's more appropriate for the person who's going to make the decision to investigate. And I'll come on to one of the reasons for that in my next um, question, the final question seven. But ultimately, in an ideal world, you should have a separation of process, but it is recognised that that's not always possible and in some circumstances it might not be practical. That brings me nicely on to question seven, which is one that comes up very often and I'm asked by people who are dealing with grievances. So particularly HR managers and internal HR personnel who are dealing with grievances between two employees. And that is, how do you reach a conclusion when two sides are involved and there's no evidence or smoking gun, if you like, to support one or the other person's account? So in a situation where one employee's raised grievance about the behaviour of another and the other person is denying it, there's no evidence, there's no one to support it, how do you reach a conclusion in those circumstances? Now, This is why I was saying earlier about the practicalities of the investigator and the decision maker being separated because sometimes you can find when you're dealing with a grievance investigation that when you interview the parties, so you speak to the parties, you get a flavour and an understanding as to whether their grievance is really genuine or not or if they are perhaps in some circumstances, maybe being oversensitive or they are just a clash of personalities or something like that. So you can get a feel for 
the individuals involved by actually meeting with them and discussing it with them. Now, this isn't always the case, but if the investigator is the same person who makes the decision, then they can use their intuition, if you like, or how they feel about the accounts given by the persons involved in reaching their conclusion. Now, as I say, it's not always possible, but it may be the case that you, for example, interview the person who's raised the grievance and you realise that there is substance to what they're saying and the events may very well have occurred, but then you interview the second person, the accused, and it's a very different reflection or scenario that has arisen in their mind. And you can then try to word that in your conclusion, if you like. So if you're saying that there is some blame on both parts, for example, then if you've met with both parties, you can use that in your conclusion. There are obviously circumstances in which you have to reach a conclusion on somebody's grievance without having that intuition or that sort of practical approach, if you like. And you do have to essentially say that one or the other person is lying. Now, I wouldn't advise that you do that in the grievance outcome. And there are ways of wording things so that it softens the blow. But ultimately, you do need to reach some form of conclusion in relation to the grievance. And it may be that somebody comes out of it and they are upset by the outcome that you have reached. But if you followed a fair process and you've reviewed the evidence and you've looked at all the evidence that's available, then you can reach a conclusion based on that evidence. And as long as you've behaved reasonably, then you'll be able to justify your decision. So it's a bit of a wishy-washy answer, I'm afraid. I do recognise that if you're dealing with grievances internally and there are two parties involved, you are going to have to say one of them is or isn't telling the truth or you do not believe one or the other's account, I suppose, rather than them telling the truth. And in a situation like this, it's very useful to ask the employee who raised the grievance what the outcome is that they desire. And it may be that the outcome they desire you can reach without having to make a conclusion that lays blame anywhere. Um, Again, it does depend on the circumstances. And if you feel really uncomfortable about it and you're not sure how to communicate the decision or even to make the decision, then you can get some advice. If you get advice from somebody who's experienced in this area and who can look at it objectively, then it can help you. Of course, the decision has to be yours as the grievance decision maker. It can't be your advisor's, but you can get some advice on it um, confidentially and from somebody who is an expert. So certainly if you are worried and you're not, not sure about how to reach the conclusion or what decision to make, then I would recommend that you get some advice. So that was seven questions about grievances, frequently asked questions. I'll just recap. The first is, does the employee have a right to see witness statements and evidence that has been made? Two, what if a grievance is against the owner in a small business? Three, if the grievance is upheld in a bullying situation, does the employee have the right to know the outcome of the disciplinary? Four, does the accused have the right to know about the grievance against them? 
Five, should a disciplinary matter or a grievance be dealt with first? And six, can the same person investigate and decide the outcome of the grievance? And seven, how do you reach a conclusion where two sides are involved and there's no evidence or smoking gun to point in the direction of one or the other? I do hope that you found this episode helpful and it's answered some of your frequently asked questions. Of course, if you do have any specific questions or if anything arises in the future that you'd like advice and assistance on, then this is certainly something that we can help you with. You can get in touch with me directly. My email is alison at realemploymentoradvice.co.uk. As I said at the top of the show, I do run a a legal practice, Real Employment Law Advice, where I have colleagues who work with me and another solicitor, Miranda, who would be happy to help you as well. We do provide advice to employers and employees on all aspects of employment law. And we have our HR Harbour, which is a monthly subscription service for employers and HR professionals to provide you with advice and assistance as and when required. Thank you so much for listening to this momentous episode 100 of the Employment Law and HR podcast. Hopefully it won't be long to get to episode 200 and I'll still be providing you with excellent content that you enjoy listening and consuming and thank you so much for continuing to do so. I do hope that you have a fantastic week and I look forward to speaking to you in the future. Thanks again for listening. Just want to finalise by saying I wouldn't be a lawyer unless I had a legal disclaimer. So I must just say to you that the information in this podcast is for information only. It's general review and a general update. It's always necessary to get specific legal advice about your circumstances. So please don't rely on anything that you've heard in this podcast. But please do feel free to contact me if you'd like further information or specific advice.